Welcome to the All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. We are committed to being rooted in the scriptures and the historic Christian faith and to kingdom life in the power of the Holy Spirit. As you listen, may you be encouraged and empowered to know the Lord Jesus and make him known. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Glad you're here. Wakey, wakey. Steve's going to do some Q&A. This is Steve Nicholson for those of you that don't know Steve. Give me that mic. Okay, the guy just drinking the coffee, third row, right on the end. You right there. Your name's Jay? You, he told me it was Jay? I thought they'd never stop singing so I could, like, do this thing. They just go on and on. They, like, go to heaven and don't want to come back. <laughs> so I saw the Lord reaching down in your life, stirring, stirring. He's stirring things up, and it's change. And uh, some of it is painful or scary. I don't know what exactly, but there's, there's some, there's, it feels very unpredictable. <laughs> it's super unpredictable. It's sort of like, what is going to happen? And I just felt like the Lord wanted to say to you, I got you. I got you. I got you. It's all in my hands. I got it all. I got you. I got your family. I got your business. I got your future. I got it. It's, I got it. It's going to be all right. Like, I'm changing it now, but I got you. He's got it all. You will once again see the faithfulness of God. You will see the faithfulness of God. He's not finished. He's not finished. And this stirring, this changing, it's sort of like some things are ending and new things are beginning, but you don't know what the new things are yet. But it's going to be good. God's got a plan. He's going to work it out. He's got gotcha. you. He's got gotcha. you. Okay, now, now we can do the rest of it. You know, sometimes God just lays these things on you and it's sort of like, I, I, I can't do anything until like I give, deliver this thing. <laughs> sort, of, sort of like, you know, well, sort of, I was finally saying, like, enough already with the songs. Like, I really need to give this word. <laughs> okay, questions? 
Like it's Saturday morning, ask me your questions. Maybe you got questions from last night, and somebody's gonna, I think Brock or somebody is gonna come around and ask, you know, put the mic in your face so everybody can hear the questions. Ask me your questions. You, you know, I'm here for today and tomorrow morning, so that's it. So ask me your questions now. Got questions? Ask them. Oh, that's a mistake. You handed him the mic. Like, you don't like hand him the mic. You hold the mic. Oh, he's going to go. Okay, so just so you know, don't give him the mic. You hold the mic and stick it in their face, but don't give them the mic. Okay, while people, uh, people are waking up. Oh, okay, sorry. All right. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Good man. Good man. That's it, right? <laughs> Hands in the pockets. Colt liked that. That was so good. That was awesome. So while people are waking up, Steve, I wanted to address the people that may not be sensing or feeling anything. You got some people getting touched. They feel stuff physically in their body. What about the people that are voicing that? Yeah. So, you know, some of you may be thinking like, you know, it seems like everybody else is getting zapped and having all these experiences and nothing seems to be happening to me. We won't ask for a raise of hands, but I'm sure you're out there. So, oh gosh, there's a couple of different things. Sometimes the difficulty is you're so much into your head that you don't know how to receive. Like you're, you wanna think your way through everything. But when it comes to receiving the spirit, you can't think your way there. It doesn't work that way. Like, it's not that he's against thinking, like he invented it, but you have to receive, it's sort of like, like a child receives love from their mother, just kind of open. And they may think about it and understand it more later, but you just receive. And so part of it is you just, you just got to relax and like just receive what God might be doing without having to pre-process everything. You can process after, but don't pre-process. Don't feel like you got to pre-process. There's sometimes it's like there's a little bit of a control thing that we have going, and it kind of makes it hard for us to receive or you feel like you have to earn it or make it happen. And actually, the more you think that, the more it gets in the way. You have to just relax. You just have, you just have to relax. So sometimes it's just, you're having trouble with this how to receive. And the truth is, pastors and church leaders are often the worst because they forget how to receive. Like they're so used to giving all the time they forget how to receive. So some of you, like, are having a hard time. Nothing seems to be happening. It's probably just you've been in such a giving mode for such a long time, you've forgotten how to receive. So you just need to, like, kind of go back and re receive on a more simple, relaxed, childlike basis. You know, you, Jesus said, talked about, you want to receive the kingdom? You've got to be like a child. Okay, so... That's maybe part of the difficulty. You're just, you know, you're having trouble receiving. And we all get our turns there. 
Uh, you know, it's not like there's no, there's, it's not, it's a natural thing to happen. doesn't mean something's wrong. Sometimes the difficulty is that maybe based on our background or other influences in our life, we don't fully really believe the Holy Spirit's real. So, you know, uh, you know, there was a time before the fire experience I talked about last night, before that, when I kind of put it, I, my response to a lot of stuff was, I don't know if that's real. I, I think a lot of this stuff is fake. You know, it's a lot put on by, you know, televangelists to make money. That was my general demeanor. And long story short, you know, I'm in this meeting with Wimber. It's the first time I'd ever met John Wimber. And he just says, you know, I just stand, just relax. You can open your eyes or close your eyes. There's no music. There's no story. It's like dead flat emotionally. Like there's no dialogue. And he just says, you know, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. And then we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm thinking, nothing's happening here. Maybe somebody should tell him. Nothing's happening. And then even when he points out this guy, see the Holy Spirit coming on this guy. And I'm thinking, like, I don't see anything. What am I supposed to see? Am I seeing doves? Am I seeing lights? What kind of glasses does he look like? You know, um, what's he talking about? And, of course, the, all this stuff happens with that guy. And then it gets all kind of quiet again, and we're waiting. And then this lady behind me, she starts shaking her hands like this. Oh, she's weird. She's got problems. Somebody needs to take her out. Where are the ushers? And I'm in the middle of judging her, and all of a sudden, John Wimber says, now receive the Holy Spirit. This time, really more forcefully. And it was like a fist hit me in the chest and about knocked me over my chair. Just boom. And my first thought was, I must regain control of my body right away so that I don't end up like Lady Shaky Hands over here. <laughs> that was my number one goal in life at that moment, was to not be weird. And some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I'm kind of an introvert. I don't like being in the center of attention, and I really don't like being weird. So that was my first thought. My second thought was, wait a minute, since when does God hit people? That guy that said God was a gentleman is a liar. <laughs> then I remembered Saul on the road to Damascus and thought, well, it could have been worse. <laughs> I'm not blind. <laughs> So there's that. And then I thought, hold on. That was real. That was like really real. That was physical real. That was like gravity real. That was not emotional because I was in the midst of just judging Lady Shaky Hands. I wasn't, I wasn't in an emotional state. I, I, it wasn't emotional. It was certainly not theoretical. This is like knock you over the chair. 
And I realized in that moment that at some place inside, I didn't really believe he was real. I kind of believed the Holy Spirit was like an emotional state we got ourselves into or something theoretical or some abstract concept about God that kind of was on the same level of understanding as calculus was to me. And I know for the mathematicians that's a horrific thing to say, but for those of us who are not mathematically inclined, you'll understand. This was like real. Like, and I realized I need to repent of my unbelief. Now, this is weird because I grew up Pentecostal. Like, we, we were saying Holy Spirit before, almost from the day I could talk. But there was a place in which I didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. And when I repented, I repented then and there of my unbelief. Whew, the power of God came on me and a whole bunch of stuff started happening. So, sometimes, either because of just the way we've thought about things, or maybe we come from a kind of more skeptical church background, there's unbelief about the reality of the Holy Spirit, and that kind of keeps us from receiving, and we have to repent of our unbelief. Sometimes it's because we, you're expecting the wrong thing. You're expecting something emotional, and that's not what he's actually doing with you. You know, um, when the Holy Spirit comes, generally there's like four different things that he wants to do. Sometimes he wants to empower us. And a lot of times empowering is very non-emotional. It's just putting, it's like charging up a battery. And he's just hooking you in and filling you with power um, so you can give it away. And you may or may not feel anything on the way in. You might feel something as it's happening, particularly if it's the first time, but you might not feel anything. He just fills you up. It's just like power that you're going to give away later. And I, I hasten to add, you need to understand, like I'm, I, I move in the power of the Spirit a lot all the time, and I hardly ever feel anything. Like, there's not a lot of feelings for me. There were, I mean, I've had really profound encounters where I felt stuff, but most of the time now, I don't feel anything. I'm not feeling things. I see things by watching what God's doing in people, in their bodies, but I don't necessarily always feel things. So sometimes he's just empowering us, he's charging us up. There's no words, there's no emotion, because it's really irrelevant. If he's just empowering you to give away, to fill you up with healing power or some other kind of power to give away, emotion, your emotions are irrelevant at that point in time. That's, that's not part of the purpose. So sometimes he's doing that. Sometimes he's healing us. And if it's physical, you might feel something physical, like heat or something like that in your body. Or if he's healing something emotional, then it will be emotional. So when he's doing healing, there might be some either physical or emotional things that you feel. 
Um, but a lot of times, interestingly, it's just the removal of feeling, actually, like the pain goes away. Like, you know, that, that's what you feel. Like you're in pain, and then the pain goes away. And that's how healing works. So that's something he does. Sometimes he's calling us. There's a calling that, he, that the Holy Spirit does on us. So he called, you know, like Moses in the burning bush, you know, he calls us. And then there's words or a, 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 a vision. Sometimes it's visual, but there's communication, you know. There might not be any words with the first two, with empowering or healing. There might not be, it, it's not like information is important, but when you get to calling, information is important. So there might be some kind of communication by visions or words or impressions or something like you're called to go somewhere, be with certain people to do certain kinds of activities. There's a call and there's information. And that might or might not, again, have a feeling associated with it. Because what's important in that scenario is that you get the communication, that you understand what he's calling you to do. And in some ways, the degree to which you have feeling in that scenario might not be super important as long as you got the communication clear. Does that make sense to you guys? Are you following me? And then the last one, sometimes he's coming to set people free, deliverance. Which, by the way, coming out of the pandemic, it caused tremendous amounts of anxiety in our society. It's really, you know, we've come through, if you think about it, the greatest natural disaster that the human race has ever gone through. In terms of the whole scope, worldwide scope, I mean, tens of millions of people died. Most of the rest of us under house arrest for however long. Longer if you live north, like in Chicago. Probably shorter if you live in Oklahoma. We won't go into that. But in any, re however it was, you know, we're all traumatized. And people came out of it with a sense of life is way more unpredictable than we thought. And so it's caught us a lot of anxiety. And the enemies use that to bring bondage to so many people. So one of the things I'm experiencing now is that I'm often finding myself in the deliverance mode, the, the fourth sort of thing that the Holy Spirit's trying to do because people have gotten in so much bondage coming out of this this, you know, experience of, un of life being, like, really way more unpredictable than we thought. So, and deliverance is going to probably be both, both physically and emotional, like, there'll be feelings associated with that, with, if that's what he's doing. Okay, so... There's four, those are the four main things that you're going to see the Holy Spirit doing in different times, you know, like this, 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 and this. And the truth is, being able to feel something is not necessarily guaranteed in all of them. Are you, are you, are you following me? So, 
It may be that what God's trying to do in you, what he wants to do in you just now, just doesn't involve having any feelings. It doesn't mean nothing's happening. It just means it doesn't mean you, you don't actually need to have a feeling on the way in. You, or, or, you get that? So maybe that's the deal. Um, and generally what I would say is whether you feel something or you don't feel something, what you have to do the next day is always the same. Like the next day, you got to live in the truth and you got to start giving it away. So whether you bounced on the floor and screamed bloody murder for three hours or whether you stood there like a rock and nothing seemed to be happening, the next day you both got to do the same thing. Like you got to get up and you got to walk in God's truth and you got to give away to whoever God puts in front of you. The, and that's the actual goal of the whole thing. The goal is not the experience. The goal is the ministry, the giving away. That's the fruit. That's the goal. So, like, if you're not bouncing on the floor, you're not, you're not you know, I'm not feeling anything, just start doing the ministry. Just jump in and start giving it away. Does that answer your question? That's a long answer to that question, but I thought it was worth going that way. Next question. Raise your hand. He's got one. Um, could, you, could you raise the microphone up, please? Thank you. Um, so last night, you know, whenever we had the, the nine up here, uh, I remember at one point you said something to the effect of like, there's more coming or there's like another wave coming or something like that. Knowing that you said you don't normally feel it, you see it. Um, I don't know, what does it look like whenever you see more coming? Can you elaborate on that? Okay. Some of it is just you can you you see you know you see it get really intense with a whole bunch of people. It's getting more intense, and then it gets really quiet. But you can see they're kind of still they're still in a receiving mode. If you look at people, if you look around the room, you can see people are still in receiving. Probably more is coming. Sometimes it's I I have the very slight the slightest feeling. It's very very slight of something being unfinished. Kind of like the feeling when you walk out of your house and you feel like you forgot something but you can't remember what it was you forgot. Like there's something. Like there's just that na little, a little nagging something. Like, there, you know, there's something more. It's like that, but it's very slight, very, very slight. A sense of there's going to be more. And when you get, when there's not going to be more, there's a sense of completion. And you can look around the room, you can see, all right, people are dialing back out. They're like, they're done receiving. They're, they're chatting now. They're in the aftermath. Like, now they're, now they're analyzing what happened. <laughs> okay, so that's probably going to be the end. There won't be more. Next question. 
Uh, I was wondering if you have rules like for ministry and prophetic words, and if so, what those rules are. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes me wonder what you think the rule, why you would ask about the rules. But uh, we do have what we call Steve's Rules for Prophecy, and we call them Steve's Rules because they're not necessarily, I mean, there's Bible rules, and then there's Steve's Rules. And we try to make a distinction because sort of Bible rules we die in the ditch for, Steve's Rules we don't die in the ditch for. Okay, just, just so you, you have to keep that all clear in these things, or, or we turn into a cult, right? Okay, so you, you have to be really clear about that. Um, you know, Bible says, don't despise prophetic utterings, but test everything. That's the, that's the main Bible rule on prophesying. So you must always test. You know, the, no. The, the thing about testing is that the testing comes after it's spoken. Okay, you don't test prophecies before they're given. You test them after they're given. Because you don't, you, part of the test is the fruit. The fruit of the thing. And how are you going to examine the fruit if you haven't spoken it yet? So some of you, you want to test ahead of time before you say it because you don't want to take any risk. And sort of like, uh -uh, that's not how it works. Like, no, you got to put yourself out there and you got to take the risk and then we test. Is this from the Lord? So it's just important that prophecies always be given in a way that's subject to being able to be tested by the people that we give them to and by the community as a whole. So, for example, in our church, we encourage people, don't load it all up with a bunch of God language. You don't have to say, thus says the Lord. Like, you don't really have to do that. You can say, I had an impression that the Lord would want to say, blah, blah, blah. Or, I had a vision that the Lord might want to say this to you. Or, I saw the Lord, you know something like that, which gives room, emotional room, for the person receiving it to say yes or no, to test it. When you, it's way hard, if you like put a whole lot of God language on the front end of the thing, you make it a lot harder. They have to say, no, you didn't hear God. You're making it much harder for them to sort. You, are you following me? And we want to make it easy for everybody to sort because testing is really important in the community. The second part of that is no secret prophecies. So it's not allowed to go up to somebody and say, I'm going to give you a prophetic word, but don't tell anybody. Okay? That's not allowed because why? You're undermining the testing process of the wider community. Like, you can give a word to a person, but they have the right and the responsibility to take that word to their friends, to their small group pastor, or to one of the other pastors, to their leader or whoever, and say, you know, I got this word, what do you think? So that's all just sort of the practical application of the biblical rule, test everything. So that's number one. But I've added some Steve's rules on top of that. And 
Um, the main one is no words about romances or babies. Now, it doesn't, the, the tricky thing about that rule is that it, it's not the case that God doesn't care about those subjects. He actually cares about them very much. Romances and babies. It's like the first commandment in the Bible. <laughs> Be fruitful and multiply, right? So it's, it's, he cares about them a lot, and he can speak about them, but the problem is that we get so emotionally entangled in those issues, we can't, we have a really hard time accurately testing those words. We can't, and we really don't want people getting married because some guy goes up to some girl and says, God told me you're supposed to marry me. Like, no, that's not how we do it. You know, that it can't, that's not the way we want it to go. Like, we want them to get married because they are hopelessly in love with each other. And by the by, God's in it. Sort of almost as an afterthought. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll tell people, like, they'll say, I think God told me I'm going to marry so-and-so. I said, don't you say a word about it. Don't say a word. I'll tell you what. You can write it down on a on a piece of paper, stick it in an envelope, and mail it to yourself so it's dated. And then don't open it. And at the wedding reception, if it ever happens, then you can open it. <laughs> it says, see, God told me. Does that make sense? It's just we, have, we get our, our emotions too entangled in it, and it leads to a lot of mistakes and abuse of prophetic words. So, in a similar kind of vein, we don't use prophecy to resolve conflict. Like, that's not how we resolve conflict. Conflict, we resolve conflict the way Jesus told us, which is sit down and, like, talk it through. We don't, we don't resolve conflict through prophecy because, again, your emotions are involved then, and you, you can't do it. Um, you have to be a little more dispassionate if you're going to be using prophecy. So those are kind of my rules for prophecy. Say what? For ministry. What do you mean? For praying for other people? <laughs> no preaching. No, no, um, you don't, you don't, when you're praying for other people, you're there to pray for them, not to preach. And that, in a similar vein, generally very cautious about it, giving advice. That's not a moment for giving advice. They're asking you to pray. They're not asking you for advice. If they want advice, they can come and ask for advice, but then they're asking for advice. You, you follow what I'm saying? Like, you can't switch. Like, they're asking for prayer, you want to make sure they get prayer, not advice. So, no, no advice giving in the prayer context. Um, 
It can go the other way easily. If they come and ask for advice, you can stick prayer in and it's, that'll be fine. But if they come asking for prayer and then you stick advice in, that's not fine. <laughs> um, no advice giving. Hmm. You know, if, if, if you, I, I think, you know, it's sort of, I don't have to say this very much, but it seems kind of obvious, like, if you're going to wander into issues of people's sexual brokenness, like, you, you, you kind of don't want, you, you want it to be with people that are appropriately safe. Um, I'll put it that way. Um, you know, so... Mostly that. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of hints and techniques that we use in praying for people, which are mostly designed to help people receive. Again, people have a hard time receiving from God, so you have to help them. But they're not rules, really. Okay, another question. There's a hand in the back, somewhere back there. So I've had this verse on my mind for a little while. It's 1 Corinthians 14, which you probably are familiar with. It says, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. There are a lot of people that I know that try to use that to keep women from speaking in the church, but do you think that that law applies to us now? Why or why not? I couldn't hear the verse. What was the verse? 1 Corinthians 14. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. Oh, yeah, okay. The Greek word there is the word hesukia, which doesn't actually mean silent. It means calm. It's, it was it, like if, this, if you were looking at the lake or the ocean, you, you would you would use that word to say, it's calm today. It's calm. Women shall be calm. It doesn't mean silent. And obviously he didn't intend for it to be silent because like, it turns right around and says, you know, women are prophesying in the church. So there's that. So it just means be calm. Like, don't be disruptive. You have to remember that generally in the the original context of the church would have been the context that they had in the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues. And in the Jewish synagogues, they had the women on one side and the men on the other side. They were separated by gender, men, women, women over here, men over there. And they didn't want the, they didn't want dialogue happening between husband and wife <laughs> across the middle. Be calm. Doesn't mean be silent because women can prophesy um, in the church and they're encouraged to do so in that same chapter. So you have to take the wider context. <clears throat> so I don't think it means silent. Another question? 
Or was that a conversation stopper? So yesterday you said something about healing that I really appreciated. You said that the Holy Spirit always comes to do work and he's looking to bring freedom first. And sometimes there's a little work left over to do when we get to heaven. Um, And so I was just gonna ask you if you would talk more about praying for healing for people, um, what that looks like. And we, we can all do that, but what's the difference between someone who just has an anointing on their life for that? Yeah. Okay, I think in the last 35 years, I've probably prayed for about 20 to 30,000 people, mostly for healing. And you do learn a thing or two. (laughs) Um, And I I hasten to say I've seen lots of healing, an uncountable amount of healing, and some really amazing things, like anything in the book I've seen, pretty much. I've also seen just a ton of people nothing happened to. You know, probably a good 10 or 15,000 at least, nothing happened. But you know, in baseball, you can fail 70% of the time and they'll pay you millions of dollars. And I think generally in healing, we're doing better than that, even though not everybody gets healed. All right? So just. Yeah, you kind of have some proportion to the thing. But we have learned some lessons about how to be more effective in healing. The first thing is you have to wait for the power. Um, You've got to wait for the power to come because if the power doesn't come, guess what? There's not likely to be much healing. It's not going to happen. You've got to have power. There's got to be power. And you have to wait for the power, and a lot of times we don't wait long enough. You're not looking. So the first thing that I'm doing when I am praying for somebody who's sick, particularly if I'm really serious about this, like I'm not just... um, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to wait for power. And... This waiting is very important. I'm looking for power to come on them, for a sign of power coming on their body, or a power to come on me or somebody with me who's going to do the praying for them. So, you know, a few years back before the pandemic, I met with this bunch of staff people from this big mega church in Michigan that were wanting to learn about about healing and I'd met one of their young leaders he was early 30s who had been injured his foot severely in some kind of accident and they'd had multiple surgeries and you know metal and pens and plates and all the stuff they do these days and the foot worked but it was in such pain that it was painful for him to walk across the room and he couldn't run and they couldn't get rid of the pain and basically said you're just going to have to live with it like we've done everything we know how to do so when we got ready 
we talked about healing for a couple of hours, and then I said, let's just, let's just do it. Let me show you. Let's just pray for him. You all know him. You all know he has this problem. He's, it's in real pain, so we'll be able to know, we'll be able to tell right away whether anything's happening. So then I said, let's pray. And of course, they all closed their eyes. And let me just say, in the vineyard, when you're praying for healing, we don't close our eyes. Okay, don't close your eyes. Because look, if anything's going to happen, it's going to happen by the power of the Spirit, you've got to have your eyes open so you can follow what the Spirit's doing. If you've got your eyes closed, you can't tell what's going on. You've got to open your eyes. So they all got their eyes closed, but my eyes are open. And I'm asking God this question. Where's the power? All right, I need some power for that foot. Where is it? I'm looking around the room. And I'm looking for power. So I'm looking at everybody's hands. I'm looking around the room. And I'm looking at their hands. I'm looking for power on somebody's hands. And I'm waiting. And I'm looking. And after a few minutes, the youth pastor, and they, they didn't have a nice-looking youth pastor like you did. They had, like, some guy that looked like they drug him out from under a bridge. Yeah, but this guy's hands had swollen up. They were, his fingers were spread out like this. They were swelling up, and they were bright red. His hands were bright red, and there was like an oily sweat literally dripping and making a puddle on the floor, dripping off the tips of his fingers. And I thought, ha, that's what I'm looking for. So I said out loud, look at his hands. There's power in his hands. So then their eyes finally opened. And they're all looking. I said, see, see, look, look, look how, look at his hands. Like they're all red and there's oil on them and they're swelling up. There's power on those hands. I said, let's get those hands on that foot and see what happens. And I said, don't say anything till I tell you what to say. Don't say anything. Just put your hand on the foot. He puts his hand on that foot. That guy's legs started shaking violently, almost instantly. Like, I, I mean, it's impossible to reduplicate. It'd be like a leg, but it's going really fast. And he's saying out loud to the group, like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I can't stop it. I'm not, <laughs> like, I'm trying to stop it, but I can't. It's like, it was, there was power going through that leg. Long story short, you know, we went through a whole bunch of stuff, and it, that's not as important. But in the end, all his pain was gone. And a year later, when I visited them in, at their church in Michigan, he was still healed, and he was back to running. Okay, but the key was looking for the power. Okay, so that it's see, we treat it like it's. Uh, some kind of automatic thing. Or like, you're going to pray some magic word that somehow moves God to want to heal them. What a ridiculous concept. You're going to say something that moves God? Like, no, that's not the deal. God's trying to move you. And 
if he's going to heal people, it's going to be through you or somebody with you. The power goes through you, through your hand into their body. It's like get that hand full of power on that foot. That's the deal. Okay, so you gotta you gotta look for the power, and that means sometimes you gotta wait. That's lesson number one. And when you have the power like that, the the odds of a successful prayer time go way up. You're not talking any 30, 40 percent. If you got power like that on somebody's hands, you're gonna you've got a probably good 80 percent chance that you're gonna see a healing right there. All right, it's it's like it's likely going to happen. So that's number one. The second thing that we learned is that you have to speak to the condition, and this is the weird part where it's really kind of weird, and there's just no getting around it. It's just weird. Like you have to speak to the body part and tell it what to do. So with the foot. Eventually, I just said to the guy, okay, now there's power gone, the leg's shaking. I said, command the pain to be gone. Say, pain be gone. Because I didn't have time to teach him. So I just said, just say what I tell you to say. So he commands the pain to be gone. And then I says, now, I want you to speak to the bones in the foot. I want you to say, bones, move to your correct position. And literally, he felt the bones moving in that foot. You could, he had his hand on the foot, and he could feel the movement in the foot. But you have to speak to the condition. I had a friend named Bill Jackson. He's with the Lord now. But he wrote a book called Quest for the Radical Middle, which is kind of a, an early history of the vineyard. Maybe some of you have heard, heard of it. Anyway. Bill used to tell the story about the first time he met Wimber was when Wimber was teaching the Signs and Wonders in Church Growth class at Fuller Seminary. And they, he would teach, and then they would always have what they called clinic time, which was basically ministry time, but you can't call it ministry time at a university, so you have to call it clinic time because that's acceptable to the academics. Whatever. Anyway, they were having a clinic time. And there was a woman there with a goiter on the back of her neck, which is like a big cyst. I'm not quite sure what causes them, but it's like a cyst that sometimes people get and the big goiter on the back of the woman's neck. And Wimber says to Bill, who's standing there watching, says, hey, you, go over there and put your hands on that goiter and tell that goiter to go away. And Bill goes over there, puts his hands on the goiter and says, oh, God, please take this goiter away. That's how we usually pray. Oh, God, please take this goiter away. Nothing happened. Nothing. And Wimber laughed. And he says, no, no, no. He says, I said, speak to the goiter. Tell the goiter to go away. And again, Bill says, oh, God, please take this goiter away. Wimber says, no, no, no. You have to speak to the goiter. You've got to, like, tell it what you want. You have to use your authority. So finally, they're like, okay, this is really weird. Goiter, go away. Like, he wasn't exactly filled with faith and power at that moment. But he said, when he spoke to the goiter, the thing melted away under his hands in a minute. It was gone. 
was gone. So what I teach people now is don't ask God. If you're, in, if you're there in person and you're putting your hands on the person who's sick, do not ask God to heal them. You won't see that model in the Bible anywhere. You do not ask God. You heal them. And you're gonna, you are going to heal them by using the two things that Jesus gave you. Your power and authority. And you exercise authority by speaking to the body part and telling it what you want done. Or you speak to the cancer and tell the cancer cells to die. Or whatever it is. You have to speak. You have to use your authority. You have to speak to the condition. Now, if they're far away, if it's distance, then you can ask God, oh God, please send somebody filled with power to pray for them. God, please heal them. But if, if you're there and you've got your hands on them, don't ask God to do it like you do it. And when you read the book of Acts, it'll say, they laid their hands on them and healed them. It doesn't say they asked God to do it. This is the thing that drove me nuts. When I first read the story in the book of Acts about the lame man that gets healed by Peter and John going up to the temple. You know this story. This is Bible Belt. Do people still read the Bible here? You know, what drove me crazy was they didn't pray. <laughs> they didn't pray. They didn't address God once in the whole episode. They did not pray. Because they'd already heard from God. They'd already heard from God. They said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. They'd already heard from God. They didn't ask, they didn't ask God. So that really changes everything. And it's a little bit weird getting there. But once you do, again, you'll see a lot more healing. So that's, that, those are the biggest lessons that we've learned over 35 years about healing. And that, no, I mean, I could go on for a whole day, but that'll do. We got time for a few more questions, maybe?